All right, everybody, welcome back into the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. I am Scott Prather, and um, very happy to be joined now by a very special guest, author Galen White. Uh, first of all, I know you, you've made many trips down to Louisiana, especially working on the book, but uh, but welcome back. It's good to see you. Thanks for making the time this well, morning. Thanks. Well, thanks. Uh, tell For our listeners that aren't sure, you know, they're like, who's who's this author? What are we talking about? We're going to be talking about his new book, The Best Little Baseball Town in the World about the Crowley Millers in minor league baseball in the 1950s, the Evangeline League. They had a team here in Lafayette, but really enjoyed this book. But how many books have you written, Galen, and, and what draws you to stories like this one? This is my fifth book, uh, one I co-authored with uh, Handsome Ransom Jackson. He replaced Jackie Robinson on the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1957 at third base. And last Brooklyn Dodger, by the way, to hit a home run. So if you want to win a trivia question, it's Handsome Ransom Jackson. So I co-wrote a book with him and then four other books. All uh, the, the books I've done on my own have all been about the minor leagues and primarily in the period after World War II and prior to expansion in 61. That's kind of the heart of the period I write about. And what's unique about minor league baseball during that time? What separates it? Because there were a lot of great players stranded in the minors, you might say. There were only 16 major league teams up until expansion. And up until 54, when the Braves moved from Boston to Milwaukee, uh, most of those teams were in five cities. There were 11 t- major league teams in five cities. That was Boston had a pair. Uh, Chicago had two teams. St. Louis had two teams. Philadelphia had two. And New York had three. The rest of the country primarily was minor league baseball. And you had in 1949 was the apex. You had uh, 52 minor leagues, uh, 449 teams. And uh, by the end of the next decade, it was down to 29. So it was just that that sweet spot. And all these minor league teams, uh, if you had a bank, uh, you probably had a minor league team. And, that was, of course, Crowley had a bank uh, back in 1921 when Babe Ruth came to town. It was the tallest building in town. He looked at it and called it a skyscraper, nine stories high. That's wild. But, you know, Babe Ruth visited Crowley in 1921, but it, they didn't have a team until 1950 even though they built their ballpark in 1948. So that was out of Field of Dreams. Build it and they will come. And they did, uh, and a lot. I mean, they set attendance records for that small period of time. The the Evangeline League, as you wrote about, a lot of teams around the area. Uh, but Crowley, you know, in reading this book, the Crowley Millers, they had um, a unique follow, a passionate following, I guess you could say. Why, when you were doing research for this, were they the team in the Evangeline League that you wanted to focus on? Well, this is a classic example of finding out something you didn't even know anything about. Sure. And uh, a pitcher for the Crowley Millers in 1952 was Hugh Blanton. He won 21 games. I was interviewing Hugh about someone else. And in the conversation, he made the comment, did you ever hear of Conk Merriweather? I had not. He said, well, he was the greatest minor league hitter I ever saw, but also the sorriest human being. Well, that got my attention. I wanted to know more about Conk Merriweather, and I found out, of course, he was one of the sorriest human beings that ever walked on this earth. But uh, I also found out about Crowley as a baseball town. Now, Conk Merriweather, coincidentally, came to Crowley uh, right after they had a center fielder named Andy Strong. And so 70 years ago this year, he was playing center field in a game in Alexandria, Bringhurst Field, which is still there, and uh, he was struck dead by lightning. And Conk, of course, came in the uh, latter part of 50. 
He led the team to two straight uh, Evangel League titles. He was a home run champ both years. And then he left town in 54. They still remained a very strong team. New Iberia replaced them at the top of the standings. And I write about New Iberia in the book, too, because mm-hmm. they, have, uh, they had a very fine player named Billy Joe Barrett, who wound up living in Lafayette for years, and then Terry Fox, who's still living, and he wound up pitching in the majors with the Tigers. So all these things came together. It was uh, uh, a surprise to me that there was uh, this kind of story here. It reads more like a novel than my other uh, baseball books. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was a happy accident. I, I, that's that's what I enjoyed most about it. Galen White, our guest, he's the author of the uh, the best little baseball town in the world, the Crowley Millers in minor league baseball in the nineteen fifties. I highly recommend it. You know, this was before my time. Um, you know, I'm I'm born early, very early eighties. But reading about the history in this area in Crowley and the way each player feels like a character out of a novel is really what kind of drew me in. And and you mentioned. Andy Strong, I mean, honestly, it, it was, I, I never had heard of that, but it's heartbreaking because I, I think about, look, in this business, um, when things are on schedule and they rarely are, it, it makes life a little easier. So we're airing a baseball game, you know, for the Raging Cajuns or something, and, oh, it's a rain delay. Oh, well, there's lightning eight miles away. You know, everyone gets off the field, and you can almost get numb and forget, like, actually, you, you don't want to mess around with this. And that, hearing some of the firsthand stories of when Andy, who, you talk about Conk being a, um, you know, the sorriest human in the world. Andy revered, loved husband, father, right? right? Like his teammates loved him. And to be struck and, and reading, and I don't want to give everything away, but just that part of the book, reading the details of that, it's um, it, it, it pulled him a heartstring. It was really just heartbreaking and also scary. I mean, It's the most compelling chapter in the book. It's yeah. also a chapter, I think, every umpire, every manager, particularly kids' managers, should read because it's dangerous when you've got bad weather in the area. And Ed Kime, uh, who was the announcer, and he's the key part to that chapter because he's telling the story. And he talks about how after that he never looked at rain and lightning in the same way. And when he saw it, he tried to warn people, you know, don't, don't play the game. Get them off the field. Uh, it, it was a tragedy uh, at that time, they didn't know, for example, that the metal piece on top of your cap might attract lightning. And that's what happened. The the, the lightning hit the metal piece on the top of the cap. Of course, he was wearing uh, metal cleats, and uh, he was struck dead in center field. And, and for some time afterwards, the burn mark where he was standing to bring her his field, his, his roommate, uh, Ray Hinsgens, who grew up in Crowley, went back to, to bring her his field the following year, and saw where he was standing. That's just it. it it's it's uh, it's pretty wild and uh, a tragic part of the story. But that brought in Meriwether, who and what what in doing your research about this guy, what good or bad, what stood out to you the most? Well, he he'd had a nervous breakdown, at least according to one report. Uh, he certainly had had some health issues as a result of being in the Coast Guard during the war. To begin with, he was eccentric. He started his career as a pitcher. He was a left-hander, and he would go from the bullpen to the pitcher's mound doing cartwheels. Well, that's a little different. Uh, he also was a guy who he could his personality, his Jekyll Hyde type personality. Uh, I had one of the ball players, Dickie Barraw, who um, played for the Millers, the oldest living Miller, uh, now eighty-six years old. He played for him fifty-two, and he said. 
Conk could be just the nicest guy. He had a sweet spot in his heart. He could turn right around, and he'd want to tear you apart. So you didn't know. Now, his teammates knew that. Uh, there are other people knew that. But at that time, there was no safety net in sports. If you had a problem, you were on your own. So I, I, I have a certain empathy for Conk, which I wouldn't had otherwise. But he was schizophrenic is what it turned out. And in the end, uh, he, he had a... His in-laws, his mother-in-law and father-in-law and their son lived with his family. He didn't have, at that time, even a well-paid minor league player. Conk was probably the best-paid player in the, on the Millers. He made $450 a month. Now, that was good money then, but it wasn't enough to support that extended family that he had. And so it was always a, a pain for him, and then finally he broke. So it's a sad story. But in the in the book, you know, there's a lot of characters, and the stories aren't so sad. There's uh, Correct. Was, telling you about Jimmy Moore, the outfielder for the Crowley Millers, and, and uh, a power hitter. And uh, they had a tradition at Miller Field and you, Miller Stadium, and you can still see in the outfield near center field this net. And if you hit this, it like, looks like a fishing net. Uh-huh. And if you hit the ball into the net, then Jerry Ashley, a local Chevrolet dealer, would give you a free car. Well, Jimmy Moore came so close one day that he swung, he turned around, and Ashley said, start that engine. And, of course, uh, somebody else, a banker, was standing, uh, was near uh, Ashley, and he starts to wave a towel over him, and the, and the ball just missed the net. But Jimmy Moore was quite a character. He uh, once called timeout in a game, and uh, the umpire came out to find out what's going on. He said, well, there's mosquitoes flying around here with chains around their neck. <laughs> uh, great stuff. Galen White is our guest, author of The Best Little Baseball Town in the World, the Crowley Millers in minor league baseball in the 1950s. I highly recommend it. This is the great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather sponsored by suit up ESPN, 1420 ESPN, 1420.com and the ESPN, 1420 app. Yeah. I love it. The Crowley gents high school team. And you wrote about this. I learned so much in this book, you know, still playing in that stadium. And as you said, the net's still there. And uh, I just, in, in sports over the years and working in this business, you see, Car dealerships do different promotions, right? If you hit a half-court shot, you're going to get this car. And then if you're at the game, well, it's a it's a nine-year-old. He can't quite do it, but he's on the mic. Hey, we're going to give him another chance. I really want to give away a car. Well, they really don't. And <laughs> I love this 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 car dealer, uh, Ashley, and him just squirming any time, you know, one of the great hitters would come up to bat. But that's just they the promotions, the um, just the – passion around Crowley, which uh, you wrote about in the book, the population back then, 12,700. 12, there you go. And, and, and they set an attendance record. Three straight season. years, they topped 100,000 in attendance. In 52, it was 119,000. Somebody did the math, and they said if, uh, if it had been, uh, it was the equivalent of 80 million fans going to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> and somebody else figured out, well, that means that everybody who lived, including infants in Crowley at that time, went to a, a Miller's game at least eight times during the season. So it was crazy. The Millers were to uh, Crowley what the Yankees were to New York. They were beloved by the uh, locals, the fans. Uh, many of the players uh, wound up marrying local girls. They call that drinking the local water. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they stayed in town. There was a ball player named Art Edinger, in fact, yeah, but his son and daughter came to one of my book signings. His son came with a little scrapbook. That's so cool. A- amazing. And then the other thing that kind of struck me, too, was a young high school player who came to one of the book signings. And I just thought, that's pretty cool because he's playing on that field now. 
And so he gets to experience, uh, reading that book will give him a sense of the history. He's standing on hollowed ground, really. Look, they, I'll be honest. When, when I was reading it, there was part of me that, I mean, I have three kids and I'm busy, but there was part of me that wanted to drive to Crowley just to go walk around the ballpark. Um, so much tradition and history and such a unique moment in time, as you put it. Um, I like uh, Jerry Simon, right? And, yes. And he ended up coaching the Raging Cajuns for a little while. He did. But him being from Philadelphia and uh, a girl asks him out, right, and, and she's cooking crawfish, and he's like, what? These bugs are crawling. He thought around. they were like, bugs. Yeah, we're gonna about to eat them. But <laughs> and like we make jokes now about all oh, people coming down to Cajun country, but I can only imagine this guy from Philly in the fifties going to a, a, see a girl at her house on a date, and you know there are these crawfish crawling around, and he's like, "Where, where am I?" I never. I'm well, there there were two players from Brooklyn. Now, yeah. can you imagine that at that time, these two guys from Brooklyn, and they're hard to understand anywhere. They come here and they can't understand the locals. The locals couldn't understand him them uh skip Letty, the shortstop from brooklyn there was a great incident with a lafayette fan one of the fan uh skip Letty could be a little bit of a hot dog he was a light hitter but the uh, fan said skip Letty, i'd like to buy you for what i think you're worth and sell you for what you think you're worth <laughs> the trash talking from back in the day i love it that's uh that's tremendous stuff espn1420.com we are uh, visiting with Galen White, uh, the author of the best little baseball town in the world. Yeah, the Lafayette Bulls were the teams. I didn't, I, I didn't even know really about the Evangeline League, really. So I learned so much from this book and a lot of sports history that was very unique. Short period of time, but you explain why. And um, just kind of all the rage in town. The fact that uh, a town as small as Crowley, 119,000 in a season, um, there's nothing like it. Now, there's some parallels because – you know, as as technology advances, some say, oh, well, it's, it's changed sports so much. I mean, I was interested to find out that television back then or antennas, as some of them improved, um, that that hurt attendance. It Absolutely. Was, it was like kind of a, a peek into the future maybe a little bit in the 1950s in South Louisiana. Well, you, uh, you didn't have air conditioning or television when Crowley enjoyed much of their uh, success. Uh, television was a little late to come to Crowley at least uh, uh, good good quality television. In 54, that's when the tennis started to drop. That's when they fell below 100,000. Uh, and in, in 56, 57, the attendance fell even more. In fact, the last year, they only had 17,000 fans. The last two years, they were affiliated with Kansas City Athletics. Uh, prior to that, they were an in, independently owned team. It was, it was fans in the area bought stock in the team. About 400 fans owned the ball club. It was uh, all the deals and everything were made by the bankers and the rice people and the merchants who lived in town. It was a community team, and that was why it became this kind of community center and this community pride. Uh, the players were proud of playing in Crowley. They wound up calling it the nice capital of the world. Of course, its nickname was Rice Capital. But all around this area, and in New Iberia had uh, some outstanding teams, and they go back to the beginning of the league in 1934, uh, and then, of course, uh, they were in the league up until the last year. They were known as the New Iberia Pelicans. So I, I devote a chapter to uh, uh, New Iberia replacing Crowley atop the Evangelist League. The fact was all these teams were in Louisiana. Most of them were in Louisiana. Every now and then there'd be a Texas team that work, would work its way in. But they were very competitive with each other. And in many cases, the towns weren't that far apart. 
So a fan in Crowley could come over to a game in Lafayette and vice versa, or they might go down to New Iberia. So it was uh, highly competitive and uh, and highly entertaining. And this is the era where there are not all of these other options. You can hear some baseball on the radio, but you can hear your team on the radio. You can hear the Crowley Millers, and you're not, like you said, TV got to Crowley late, and you're reading the paper, you're following a team, but you don't have the entire world of sports that you have now. Like, there's no way to recreate that moment in time and everything that came with it and just how unique it was. Um, it's such a great story, Galen. I, I really enjoyed the heck out of it. I highly recommend it, everybody. The best little baseball town in the world, the Crowley Millers and minor league baseball in the 1950s. Uh, how can folks get a copy of the book? GalenWhiteBaseball.com. My first name is spelled G-A-Y-L-O-N. Go on there and go to the order page, and there'll be a uh, uh, information on how they can get 30% discount on the book. The list price is 38 They can get it for $26 plus shipping. Or come to the Rice Palace this Wednesday or Friday from uh, 1 o'clock both days. I'll be there signing books, and the book will be available for $30, which is essentially the same that you get through this 30% offer because you're not going to be paying for shipping. So that's two ways. It's also on Amazon.com. Uh, if they don't have it at a bookstore you like to go to, well, ask for it. What's, what's the reception been like? Outstanding. This area, uh, particularly Crowley, but not limited to Crowley, New Iberia and Lafayette have really embraced the book because it's bringing back memories, uh, maybe of someone in their family or because Miller Stadium is still being used today. It's been, was restored in 1998. It's been upgraded in, uh, during the pandemic, $5 million spent on an artificial surface and also uh, new seating and, and new lighting. So a lot of your high schoolers, Notre Dame High plays there. They won the state title. Uh, and I've become a little bit of a local fan as a result. I did color commentary on a Notre Dame game there, and it was that was a hoot sitting there in the press box and calling this game uh, about this ballpark that uh, you know I've written about and seeing these uh, young guys playing there now and and just the memory of playing on that field. And so a lot of the people who have come to the book signings have come saying, "Well, my son played there," and the son might still be in high school or the son might be thirty years old. But that's something now it kind of comes to life. And I'm hoping, uh, and two, there, there's a pride in this area. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the term Louisiana proud. Well, some people may think it's a slogan, but after I've been here, I find out it's a tradition. And I think in Crowley, that's particularly true. The, 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 the passion for the Millers has returned. And it's more centered now on Miller Stadium, but the passion's still there. Once they start selling like retro Crowley Miller's gear, then you know that it's it's fully back. That's but a good idea. I, like, I'll take it, man. Give me a Crowley Miller, an old Crowley Miller's jersey. I'll put it on. That's a business opportunity. Well, they have a concession stand there with all the signatures of the ball players that played there, and they it's they have a cap, a Crowley Miller cap. It's very simple. It doesn't have all the stuff they have on caps today, but it's with minor league baseball and the direction it's headed today. Uh, from 160 teams before the pandemic to 120 now. They've restructured it. They've chained, realigned leagues. They've, they've uh, eliminated some leagues. Uh, minor league baseball is headed in the wrong direction, in my opinion, uh, because what it's doing is it's losing the heart and soul that it developed in towns like Crowley. That's where, you, that's where the fans first come into contact with professional players. And if they have success, they follow them on up into the majors. Um, that's not going to happen 
if you start eliminating or getting out of all these small towns. So I'd like to see Major League Baseball address the issue. I think there's a solution to it. Uh, you're never going to see Minor League Baseball in Crowley or Lafayette again. But what you could do is like they're doing, like twice now they've played uh, games, MLB has played games in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the home of Little League Baseball. Mm-hmm. They're going to be playing a game uh, at Field of Dreams that we're supposed to play it last year. Right, yeah. They're going to be playing it this year. Why not visit some of these older stadiums around the country, play either an exhibition game there or a regular season game, and go back and re-engage the fans in the small towns? That's what needs to be done. And now you'll start to see this passion flowing again for baseball. Right now, the fans have too many other places to go, and they're going there because MLB is not connecting with them. Yeah, and minor league baseball, they're, they're, they got their work cut out for them. I mean, gimmicky promotions, whatever they try, if anyone snickers at it, I'm like, I don't blame them. They're, they're doing whatever they can because it's just it's hard to bring them in. I've been to some minor league games not too far from, from where you live. I, I believe you live in not too far from Asheville, North Carolina. That's right. Been to some tourist games back when I was, was working summers in North Carolina. Uh, there's something about minor league game in the summertime, and yet, you know, my experience compared to what I read about in this book, it's it's night and day. There's nothing like it. Um, you ever have anybody walk by a, a headstone near the stadium in Crowley, and they're like, what's what's this doing here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that part of the book. That was uh, great. Coach, uh, uh, a key part of the book is Richard Pizzolatto. He's known in Crowley as Coach Piz. Uh-huh. He's 84 years old. He uh, lives in the same house he was born in. He was a uh, around his home, his second home was the ballpark. He was a knot hole gang there. And he was recreation director in 1998, and by that time the ballpark was dilapidated. It uh, really needed a facelift, so he led a drive to, to make that happen, and they restored it. And then he started to organize these reunions. So for 10 years, these old ball players start uh, coming back to Crowley, uh, well into their 70s now, and uh, uh, and it was week long reunions, not just a weekend reunion. And so he was the one who really kind of uh, restore, uh, helped restore the ballpark. And then uh, uh, during the pandemic with this uh, latest upgrade, it's, it's better than ever. So they've kept that legacy of the stadium alive, in effect, keeping the legacy of the Crowley Millers alive. And I just, you know, it, it, when I started this, uh, Scott, I didn't have any idea that it would be as compelling a story as it was. In, in, when you write a book, and I've written five, you don't have favorites. They're like children. But in this case, I have to say this has become a favorite because it's about a community. And I, I can just, you know, in writing it and hopefully in reading it, you, you could feel that spirit. 100%. Yeah. And you could feel that love and, and that pride, a sense of belonging. That's something I've left out so far is that with a team, a minor league team, you have this sense of belonging the players kind of belong to you, their family. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, we're all looking for that sense of belonging. And the Crowley Millers provided that for the people then. And I believe now Miller Stadium hopefully can provide that for people in Crowley, the sense of belonging. It's called the best little baseball town in the world, the Crowley Millers and minor league baseball in the 1950s. Galen White is the author. He has been our guest. My favorite books to read honestly, at this point in my life, are nonfiction sports books. Now, if I'm being honest, most of the ones I've enjoyed reading are ones that I remember that maybe took place in the 80s or 90s. So, I, But once I got into this, it was the characters, and they're 
real life people. <laughs> and then, like you said, the kind of the pride of the town. And just you, you did a great job, Galen. I think of capturing, and I I have nothing to compare it to because I wasn't alive then. But what felt like capturing life in the fifties in, in a small town where they have such a great passion for that team and that fishing net still there. I don't know if I'm ever there. I'm going to try to hit a home run in it. <laughs> I won't get a car for it though. Uh, Galen, this has been great. One more time before I let you run. Thanks for joining us this morning. Tell our listeners where they can find a book. GalenWhiteBaseball.com. Go to the order section and you can get one for 30% off or come to the Rice Palace, on uh, which is Crowley right off I-10. And I'll be there one o'clock both uh, Wednesday and Friday and signing books and selling them for $30. All the best, Galen. Thanks so much for taking the time coming in studio. And I really enjoyed it, and I'm recommending it to uh, anyone that's interested. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it.